Um, the picture that I got was of a waterfall, a beautiful waterfall, and not to stand outside and admire it, but to get into the water and let it wash, wash over us and wash us clean. So, Lord, we come to you today, and we just thank you, Father. We can lay everything um, in front of you, Lord, that you wash us, you wash away those things that are not of you, and we thank you, Lord, that we rejoice in you. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 37 says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Let's just respond to that word this morning. Um, one of the schemes of an enemy is to get our eyes fixed on all other things that are only temporary in nature. But scripture says, fix your eyes on the Lord. Um, and so where you are, won't you just respond to that and say, Lord, I just give you my eyes again. I'm, I'm focusing on you. Um, as I'm thinking of my life, of my vocation, my family, my work, I've got my eyes on you. I lift my eyes up to you and I'm looking towards you for instruction and guidance with my life. Where you are, just whisper that prayer out. Just commit your ways to him again. There are many things that will fall away, but he will remain forever. Thank you, Lord, that we can just commit our lives to you again. And we give you our eyesight. It's such a delicate part of our lives. We, we choose to behold you and to seek you out, Lord, from amongst all the other distractions to fix our gaze on you. And from that point, Lord, get our guidance for life, Lord. We look to you. You may be seated. Good, uh, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you here. Welcome to round two. I am well-trained, practiced. Um, in, except this is new. We didn't have this in the first service. Um, there is a Toyota RAV, a silver one, CM46829. If that is you, I think your lights are on. But you're not the only one. <laughs> There is an Isuzu, a CA475374. Your lights are also on. Um, so, there we go. Uh, uh, we, are, we are still busy on um, what it means to be ready. And uh, this morning I want to share around what, what, what um, as we've been sharing around um, getting ourselves ready, Revelations, speaking of the, uh, the um, Christ returning for his bride and, and the uh, climax of history when, when Christ and the church is united and, and the bride has made herself ready. And, and um, we've been looking at Matthew 24, 25, where Jesus speaks about the end times and what it means to be ready. Um, I, I, I want to share this morning on what, what is it that we are longing for, waiting for? 
What are we preparing ourselves for? Um, what is this that we are longing and waiting for that motivates us to make ourselves ready for that day? I, um, it's the first scripture that came to mind when I was thinking about these things was Colossians 3. And I want to start off with it from verse 1. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our hope appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so we, we've been looking at what it means to be ready um, and what it really means to be ready for Christ's return. And, and what should we be doing while we're waiting for him? Um, it, it's so powerful. It, it reads here, and as your life is hidden in Christ. A powerful statement that one can meditate upon is your life hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. It is important for us to hold before us that what we are waiting for, that what we are longing for, that what we're hoping for, what is eternal inheritance, promised, for us. It's important that we hold that before us because it will become our motivation to live the way we live and to endure whatever we have to endure to gain it. It is important for us to focus on, to set our minds on what we are waiting for when Christ returns so that we can seek those things which is above. It's very powerful how Paul writes to the church in Colossians. Why is this important? For, for that will be the motivation to do what is necessary to be ready. When we put that hope, that promise, that eternity in front of us. When we are driven, motivated, and long for, when our treasure is in eternity and not in this life, it will motivate us to be ready. But also not to be distracted by this world. If that becomes our primary focus and treasure, we are less susceptible to what the world might distract us to for something less. And also, it will be our lasting hope and love that drives us to endure whatever we need to face while we're waiting for his return. And so I have um, thought about what are these things that... that is waiting for us, eternity. What, what, what is this treasure that we are longing for while we're waiting for his return that motivates us to live in a way that is pleasing for him, to want us to be ready and beautiful when he returns because of, I, I, I listed five things I could have done more, but I realized if I do more than five, it might be one of the things that you're longing for, for me to stop. If Jesus can just comes back, then he can just stop. <laughs> so I, I, I stopped at five things. And, and, and here are the five, not in a particular order, except maybe the last one, the most important. But, but firstly, what, what motivates us um, is I want to start with something that we already have. 
that we should never forget. And that is our forgiveness and salvation. One of the things that motivates us to, to live and to be ready for His return is that what we have already received, and that is our salvation. The forgiveness of our sins, our redemption. Um, Ephesians 1 verse 7 says it this way, For in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. You see, we, we, one of the things that motivates us to live for God and to be ready for His return is the fact that He saved us. That, that He forgave our sins, that we have been redeemed by the sacrifice of Christ so that we can hope for these things that is promised for us. The more we remind ourselves of the reality of our salvation, the more grateful we are and longing for His return. I, I remember when I got saved. As you might know, I got saved at the point of suicide. And it was, every time when I think of it, I realize I was not saved because of my works. Or because I earned it, or because I was special or different. It was simply because of His grace. He had mercy on me, and He revealed Himself to me at the point of suicide. And He literally saved my life twice in a moment. He saved my physical life. That I did not kill myself, but also he saved my eternal life. Because if I did at that stage not believing, I would have been in hell today. And literally he saved my life twice in a moment. He saved my physical life, but he also saved my eternal life. And I am grateful for that. You see, God saved my life physically in this temporal life, but also eternally, eternally spiritually. God saved my life from eternal destruction if I were to have killed myself on that day without accepting the Lord I would have been in hell salvation's end goal is not primarily what we gain in this life but what we gain in eternity that's the aim of Christ's coming not primarily to bless us here and now but to give us eternal life and to save us from the alternative which is eternal destruction in a place called hell. I mean, John 3.16, we know so well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes him shall not perish. It's a reality. But have eternal life, <laughs> the alternative. And one of the things that I'm, that I'm eternally grateful for is the fact that I am not going to perish in a place called hell, which is not designed for humans, but a terrible place to go to for those who are in rebellion against God's grace of salvation. Jesus speaks about this, and we've mentioned it in, in the parables, just in, in Matthew 24, 25, when Jesus spoke about what it means to be ready as opposed to not being ready. What will happen to those who are ready and what will happen to those who are not. And so he, he mentions Hell frequently. We, we read in Matthew 24. And, and, and the unprofitable servant will be cut in two and appoint his portion 
with the hypocrites. There will be a, a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. And in Matthew 25, with, with, with the parable of the talents, and, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. And then later on in, in the same chapter, and those will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus was far more graphic about hell than anyone else. And he spoke about it often in various parables and conversations. In Mark 9, he, he says, For instance, where the worm that eats them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. You see, hell is a terrible place to go to. And God doesn't desire any man to go there. It was designed for the devil and the angels that rebelled against him. And therefore, he sent his son to pay the price so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It is a great motivator in my life to follow Jesus because I realize what I've been saved from. I've been saved from hell. And therefore, I'm eternally grateful. It doesn't matter what I face in this life. It cannot possibly compare to what hell is for eternity. And therefore, whatever the cost may be, whatever I may face here is nothing in comparison to what I will receive and what I've been saved for. It makes me eternally grateful. And here is the point. I have been saved from eternal punishment into eternal life. This makes me always grateful to this very day. It, it humbles me in my expectation for what I may gain in this life. Because God did not come to save me for this life, but for eternal life. And yes, God does bless us. And yes, he does provide for us. And yes, he's, he's given me so much since I was saved. I mean, I've been blessed by an amazing wife, beautiful children. I have purpose and, and I have everything th that my heart's desire. I live in comfort, but that's not why he came to save me. Because there are many others who do not have that. But they do have eternal life which is far greater than anything that you can gain in this life. Or lose, for that matter, for it. Like, like the word says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What does it help that you have all the riches in the world, but you lose your salvation? That is a great motivator. What we have been saved from and what we have been saved unto. I am eternally grateful. It's a great motivator to serve him. That, that brings me to the second point, another great motivator. What we long for is heaven. Where are we going? Our destination. It's not just where we're not going, but where are we going? We're going to heaven, which is completely different, not just to hell, but to this very world and existence that we currently have. In the midst of all this evil decay and, and unfair injustice, war and hatred and, and all kinds of evil, where we are going to is heaven where that does not exist. As a matter of fact, this world and its decay and its evil will be destroyed and be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth where there is no sickness, where there is no death, where there is no decay, only perfection. In the presence of God. Heaven is an amazing place. Beautiful, perfect, no evil, no corruption, no sickness, death or tears. A new earth restored in its full without decay. 
And then we read of the new Jerusalem that comes down and, and the description of it. When, 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 when John has a glimpse of what heaven is like in this new Jerusalem. And we read here in Revelations 21. And I know my oldest daughter, Daniela, is going to love it. Because it's beautiful and perfect. Like she tries to make a room. <laughs> she's going to love heaven. I know it. She's a perfectionist. She's going to love heaven. But, but just listen to this. The construction of his walls was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city was adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third, and then it goes on describing jewels I cannot even pronounce. The, the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. Imagine that. And the streets of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And again, you know, there are just so many scriptures that speaks about what heaven is like. Our destination, where we're going. What we're longing for. I think Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 describes it in, in a sentence. It says, as it is written... No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It is a great motivator to live our lives for God, knowing what he has promised us and where we are going. It encourages us when we face the imperfection and, and, and the sinfulness and the decay that we have in this world, knowing that this will pass away. And it will be replaced by something perfect that will never again decay. It is a great motivator. Our final destination. There's another motivator and a great expectation for when he returns. And that is simply our reward. How we live our lives for Christ will be rewarded. It's a very powerful insight and motivator in the Word of God that he says, I don't just only want you to live for me, I will reward you for doing so. And knowing that in this life you will be persecuted and hated because you do, I will reward you for everything that you suffer for my name's sake. I will reward you. We read of this again in, in all the, the parables that Jesus spoke about being ready. The motivation for serving and following God it's a great motivator. In Matthew 24, it says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom the master, when he comes, find him doing so. Surely, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his good. And of course, the, the parable of the, of the ten talents where Jesus said to, 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 to those who, who, who were actually busy with what God expected them to be busy with, he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over little. I will make you ruler over much. Because you were faithful, even the guy with two talents, because you were faithful over the two, I will make you ruler over much. I will reward you for everything that you have done for me. A great motivator. There is great reward for those who follow Christ. There is great reward for those who suffer and give up because of Christ. God says, I will reward you for everything. It, it is so helpful to have an eternal perspective, an eternal vision, an eternal goal. It is helpful for us.
But I need to move on because the fourth one that is a great motivator um, for following Jesus, to be hopeful and to be longing for his return. Another reason is, is our loved ones. Um, the older I get, the more I appreciate this. I, I was privileged enough to um, live a long life before I lost my one of my parents. I mean, my father only died last year. The first close relative that I lost was my grandmother, and I was in my 20s. My, my grandmother brought me up. Both my parents worked full-time, and, and my mother, grand, grandmother lived with us. And, and she was more like a mother to me than my own mother, simply because she was there more than my mother. And I remember I was in the army when she passed away, and, and I was sad, but yet inside of me I, I had this hope that I will see my grand again. She loved the Lord. And I knew she was in heaven. And, and, and I knew one day I will also be there. And I will see her again. But I was in my 20s. That was still a long way off. Now I'm close to 50. And all of a sudden, if I think of my father, I think I'll, I will see him soon. You know, when we're 20, we think we're going to live forever. And I realized it won't be so long before I see my father. It's a great motivation. It, it, it is a great encouragement to me. that death is not the end. And, and I will see my loved ones in Christ again. I know my father loved the Lord. And therefore with great hope and expectation, I know I will see him again. And I even know where I'm going to find him in heaven. He'll probably be with the flowers. He loved flowers. That's the first place I'll go looking for him. If he's not waiting for me at the door, I will go find him. And I know where I will find him. He will be in the gardens of heaven, worshipping God in the majesty of the perfection of his creation. But it's not just my family that, that I will see again. It's you. You know, my first four congregations were all young people. The first was in Stellenbosch, all students. And you know students, we're never going to die. Then, then it was young, young working graduates in the beginning of their life, unmarried in London, seeking uh, to, to start their life and to find their wives. And, and then it was Tooting, and then it was Weybridge. And, and they were all young people. I, I never did funerals. I only did weddings. It was a great season and a great demographic. You are the first church where people die. People go to Jesus. <laughs> and, and for the first time, I do more funerals than weddings. Honestly. And, and you know what? When I prepare for these ceremonies, for these funerals, I find myself crying. And when I do this funeral, it's so, it's so embarrassing. I cry. 
when I do funerals. I cry as much as I did over my father's funeral, and I, I've come to the conclusion, I actually love you. It's, it's, it's weird, but, but I actually do. And one great motivator is that I will see you again. You know, um, surfer Pat. Um, surfer John. <laughs> I'll see him, um, Pat. Remember, um, Pat? We'll, we'll see him again. He'll just be much younger. He'll probably be playing tennis again. Um, surfer John. Um, Brom. Tani Marita. And the latest, Yanni, Yanni van Meelen. I find great joy and hope in knowing that death is not the end. And I will see you again, even the difficult ones. I, I, I will see you again. I love the way that the Bible describes those who, f who die as simply falling asleep. Why? Because death is not the end. It's just the beginning of eternal life. And as much as I miss my father, and I would have longed him to still be alive, I know he's not longing to be where I am. Now, where my father is now, he does not want to come back. He's, he's longing for me to come to where he is. But he's not longing to have been here longer. Because he's with the Lord in a perfect place with a new body. As a matter of fact, the word, the word of God says, in an instant, we will have a glorified body. And we will be with him forever. Thessalonians speak about the fact that death is not the end, that we have simply fallen asleep and that we will all be together again soon. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive will remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Death is not the end. It is not the end. And I've had the privilege to, to walk this road with those who have come close to this transition. More than I would have liked to. But it is a reality. We are getting older. And our bodies are getting weaker. 
And unless the Lord returns in our lifetime, we are all going to die. It is a reality we cannot escape, but it is not a terror. If we put eternity, what God has promised and what He has given us before us, it is not a terror, but simply a door we pass through for eternity to something better. What is waiting for us who are in Christ is something better than what we've ever had before. And I had the privilege to walk this journey with souls who, who maybe for the last couple of months, weeks, and days, and it ends up being ours. Helping them to run the last 50 meters. And I have seen how old and young cling to this life. Which is human, which is natural. And I know one day I may too have to run 50 meters as my body fails. And I'm old and weak. But with great joy, I can encourage those in their last days and hours that death is not the end. And this body, as weak and frail as it may be now, will be young again. And soon, I will see you again, my friend. You will just be there before me. And often I tell them, when you get there, please go say hi to my father. Because I know you will meet him there. <laughs> when he hears you from Hermanus, I'm sure he'll ask you, do you know him? And in these precious moments I had with so many, I have prepared myself for the eventuality that I too may have a long sickbed. I wish I will die in my sleep. But because I had to walk this journey with so many that had to suffer the reality of the frailty of this decaying body. There is something I see in some, the hope of where they're going. The realization that it is close. That I am going to be with the Lord in heaven, with the glorified body, where there is no sickness, where there is no death, with Him forever. I have seen great men and women of God die in great hope, in the midst of pain and suffering. Because their faith in God was real. He challenged me. I, I, remember, I remember a young man. I, I've never met him. Some of our members. It was, it was their neighbor. The fun of Marvis Sandy. Anyway, I remember they asked me to pray for this woman. He was terminally sick with cancer. and I did not know this gentleman. And I prepared myself to go and minister to him. To pray for his healing and to encourage him. And as I arrived... I was amazed at his story. He couldn't stop speaking. He didn't want prayer for healing. He shared with me his, his encounter with the Lord. How the Lord spoke to him about where he was going and that he can't wait to go. And he just wanted to know what can he still do before he goes. I mean, I cannot, 
I cannot help by crying. I'm not a crier, but you know, God did something in my heart when I got saved. He took that heart of stone out of me and he gave me a heart of flesh. And all of a sudden I start to love people and have compassion. And, and he's still at work in me, but I left that place crying because that gentleman ministered to me so much because all he wanted to do was to share with as many people possible who Jesus is and what he has done and where he's going. I realized one day I want to be like this man. I want to be more excited to go than to cling on to this life. Oh, and it's human for us to be afraid. It is human for us to want to live forever. But there's something powerful when it transcends. There's something far greater. But this is the point that I want to make. The one thing that we wait for with great expectation is to be together again. That death is not the end. It is just the beginning. The beginning of eternal life. Without sickness or pain in glorified bodies. As a matter of fact, Philippians says that this way. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven. This is where we belong and this is where we're going. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to, the glorious, to His glorious body, according to the working by which He enabled to do all things. It is so powerful, and I, I want to encourage those who are growing older, don't give up as your body weakens. Soon you'll have a new one. Soon you'll have a new one. Hold on and encourage one another for what God has promised us and what we are living for. Which brings me to the last and the greatest reason for our hope and motivation. Our greatest motivation and longing and hope for our treasure, far greater than anything on this earth, is to be with Christ. Simply to be with Him. Our Lord and Savior, our God, our Redeemer, the one who laid down his life to save us. What an awesome moment it will be to be with him, just to be with him. The one that we have never seen, but yet believe, experience, yet partly one day we will be in his presence. How amazing will that be? The one who loves me, who loves me perfectly and saved my life, he died for me so that I can be with him. I can't wait for that day. As much as I love my wife, my children, and all you here, there is something far greater. And that is just to be with him. You know, in John Chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. It's such a powerful prayer if you, if you listen to that. And one of the things that Jesus prays for that he desires is the following. We read in verse 24, it says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. It just struck me that Jesus' desire is for us to be where he is. 
shouldn't that also be our desire? To be where he is. Shouldn't that also be our greatest treasure and longing? In John 14, Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. How beautiful is that? One of the things that I treasure most is the fact that one day I will be with him. The one who loves me, the one who redeemed me, the one who saved me, the one at great cost gave his life so that I can be with him. It is our love for him that motivates us and drives us most because we love him. Because we understand what he has done for us and what he has promised us. We want to be with him and we want to live for him. We want to find out what pleases him and live in such a way out of a place of gratitude for our salvation, but also the promise to be with him. And so we do these things and we endure whatever we have to endure, not because we have to, but because we want to. And when we put those things before us as our greatest treasure, we will not be distracted so easily by this world and what it offers it will truly be our greatest treasure as revelations 19 says let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You see, we are part of the bride by grace, but what makes us beautiful is the dress. And what is the dress? It is the righteous deeds of the saints, the things that are pleasing in His sight. Why are we beautiful? Not because we have to, but because we want to. We do those things because He is the lover of our souls, the treasure of our life, more precious than anything else. And we can't wait to be with Him. This is just a few things that I could mention. But when we think of these things, of what is waiting for us, it demands a response from us. Why? Because we love Him. And that's why Matthew 6 says that do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroys and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither vermin do, or rust and moth do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the point for where your treasure is. There your heart will also be. Where your treasure is. If, if our treasure is here on earth, if we only live for what we can gain here, our hearts will levitate towards what is here. But if we live not just for this life, but also for eternity, if we live not just what we can gain here, but we live for what we can gain for eternity, our hearts will be there. And then how we live will flow from a place of love and not obligation. Uh, our motivation would be to do the things that is pleasing in His sight, not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we realize that the treasure 
that is in heaven is far greater than the treasures on earth. And therefore it has enabled Christians throughout the century to live for him. And even to suffer for him. Because there's nothing here on this earth that can compare to what is promised for us. And therefore, in conclusion, Colossians 3 verse 1 says the following. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which is above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on things on earth. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. And when Christ, our life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. I want to ask the ushers to hand out communion for those who... Is there anybody who have not yet received the cup? If you can just quickly raise your hands. The ushers will come. And I want us to take this moment while you wait. I want us to wait, which I also need a cup, please. As, as we wait for one another, we're going to partake of communion. And the reason we partake of communion is so that we can... Just take a moment and reflect again what Christ has done for us. What is this hope that he's promised us? What is this treasure that he has given us? And that we will move our hearts. We'll move our hearts to make that treasure our most important treasure. So that we can live for that. And not just for what we can gain in this life. And I want us to take this opportunity as you take out the bread so long because it takes a, a while. As we take the bread and we wait for one another, let us reflect on this great salvation that we have received. At great expense and great cost. Let us reflect on what God has given us through His Son, not simply from a place of power and position, but my salvation came at a cost. It wasn't just a decision to set me free. There was a price to be paid. And God was willing to pay that price for me and for you. So let us just take this moment before we eat and I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to eat together. Just speak to the Lord. Just reflect on your salvation and what He has done for you. Just in your own words, just speak to the Lord. Yes, Father, we thank you for your love for us and the price you were willing to pay to save us. And it's all because of your grace, your mercy, your compassion, and your love for us because you do not desire any of us to perish, but you want us to have eternal life so much that you were willing to pay the ultimate price not just physical death, but to become sin for us and face the wrath of God. 
Lord, we thank you for this cost. We worship you for it. Let's be together. Before we drink this cup while all the eyes are closed, if you are here today and you are not sure that if you were to die today, you will also have this hope and great expectation that you will hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. When you will hear these words, my child, welcome. I've been waiting for you. If you are not sure of your salvation, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God's invitation for eternal life. It is only through His Son. And before we drink this cup, I want to give you an opportunity to respond and say, yes, Lord, I want to surrender my life. I want to respond to your grace. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to accept you as my Lord, my King, and my Savior. I want to follow you all the days of my life. If that is you this morning, I want you just to respond by raising your hand before God. Say, God, here I am. I want to respond to this great act. Thank you for those hands. You can drop it again. Is there anybody else? Just, just as you are. Thank you. Just raise your hand just before the Lord. Thank you. Is there anyone else? You can drop it again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. This is the only thing that matters. It's between you and the Lord. It is a response from the heart where you say, Lord, I thank you. I am a sinner. I am not worthy of salvation, yet you love me so much that I may be saved, <laughs> that I may belong, and that I may have this hope too that one day I will be with you. And I want us all, before we drink this cup, to pray together with those who make this commitment. Let's just pray together. Father God, Thank you for your grace to save a sinner like me through the blood of your Son. It is because of you that I can be saved. I surrender my life today to accept you as my King, my Lord and Savior. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for my salvation. In Jesus' name. Let's drink together. Thank you for your blood, Lord that seals us, that redeems us, that washes us, that cleans us. Lord, I thank you for those who have responded today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that it is your word that says, whosoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. It is your word. And it's not just your word. It is your son on the cross that died. And he did not only die, but you raised him. You raised him from the dead to prove to us all that what you said about him is true. And so that we may have the confidence that we too will be raised to new life. And death is not the end. And what we're waiting for is far greater than what we have here. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that our hearts, our hearts will truly put this as our greatest treasure. Help us to remind ourselves and encourage each other 
where our true riches and treasures are. It will determine where our hearts will be, our minds will focus, and ultimately the way we live our lives. Help us, Lord, to always put our treasure where you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. May God bless you. Um, and we will all be together. Uh, if not next Sunday. <laughs> together in heaven. Yeah? Let that always be an encouragement to all of us. It's not heaven, it's where he is. There is heaven. And so I trust that you will leave this place with great peace and longing.